The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William DeBiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and IGN and critically acclaimed, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold, and I am a man about town. Ladies man, man's man, man about town. All of those things. Thank you, Down With Love. <laughs> uh, it's, it's Ladies want to be me, and men want to be with me, and vice versa. And cats like to snuggle. Cats like to snuggle with me. Uh, this is a weird episode of Cancelled Too Soon because of timing. Uh, every episode in the, of November and Cancelled Too Soon uh, is part of our Marvelous Month of Marvels, and we are only reviewing failed television series based off of Marvel Comics. And this week, we well, lost the patron saint of Marvel Comics, Stan uh, the Man Lee, who I, created I, or co-created most of the great characters that we love and that we're talking about this month. Uh, vibrant and making con appearances, greeting fans and talking to people. Up to the end, he died at the age of 95. Mm-hmm. Always gregarious, always likable. Mm. You ever, did you ever get to meet him? I didn't get to I saw him walk past me once, but he was being mobbed and uh, I wasn't going to join the mob. I, I didn't want to be that guy. I met him three times. I interviewed okay. him twice on the like, red carpets and things and he was very nice. Yeah. Just polite and very supportive. How are you doing there, true believer? Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. makes he's like he was like a kids show host. Like he just makes mm. you really happy to talk to him and and be excited about the comics that he loves. But my favorite was when I was working at a bookstore and he had come mm. into he had some new book, I can't remember what it was, right. but he had a new book that he had written or co-written or put his name on and he was signing copies and everyone had brought their comics as well and we were fine with that and mm. At the end of it, he was so nice. And he was in his 80s at the time. And it, they were just like, hey, you want to sign literally every Marvel graphic novel in the store? And he was like, sure thing. <laughs> and we just stacked them all up. And he started writing. It's just Stan Lee. didn't personalize them. Well, just Stan no. Lee, Stan Lee. And the thing I'll always remember is as he was signing, he signed one for me. I got a, okay. a, big, okay, collect, nice, a big nice. collection. I bought it that day. It was like a $100 book of like the original uh, in color reproductions of like the first fifty issues of Iron Man. Oh, fun! Okay. So it was really good, and so I gave it to him, and I just never forget what he was as he was signing Stanley mm. over and over and over again, dozens if not hundred like graphic novels. Mm. Just boy, am I glad my name isn't Engelbert Humperdinck right about now. <laughs> <laughs> And, oh god, you know he's made that joke like a hundred times, times but it's still funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Stan Lee <clears throat> is one of those figures who. He's you know, like he's like part Elvira, part <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman, uh, and and, and part Ryder. and part Gene Roddenberry. You know, what? like he he has a weird sense of eternal optimism about him, and that's what I appreciated most. Mm. You go back to a lot of his old comics from the nineteen sixties when Marvel started to boom, and he was working on comics for decades before that. And oh, he he'd was, been working. His first yeah. comic, his first work in comics was a print story mm. about Captain America made during the original run of Captain America in the 1940s. 
So he'd been in it for a while. And he, uh, I, I found this interview with him from the 1970s recently, and uh, he was talking about sort of the rise of this new wave of comics that he himself ushered in with Spider-Man. And the Fantastic Four was the first one, mm-hmm. and then followed by Spider-Man, the Hulk, and, and the rest. And to, and to be mm. fair, we're, we're talking about Stanley because he recently passed away, but Stanley collaborated on all of these and co-created all of these with his various artists. Mm. In particular, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko were very influential around that time, but he worked mm. with others. Well. He worked with others as well. And yeah. I, I know some of his collaborators were a little miffed at him because he put his name on the comics mm-hmm. and they thought that that was him trying to take credit for their work. He never did that. He never said in interviews, I did this by myself and they did nothing. But he did say he was kind of like the figurehead of the company. So he put his name on everything. He didn't do a lot to dispel it. He let I, it happen he, a lot. Yeah. 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 So, so a lot of his collaborators not, are not, not necessarily happy with him, but he never took credit. He never, mm. like, said, this was my creation. It's all me! Solely, it was all me. Yeah, he all never me. did. To the best of my knowledge, um, he never did that. Um, but yeah, it, he said, he was working on these comics, and he was bored. He said the old model was, you know, a fellow in a tight outfit is walking down the street, and a space alien comes and says, I must destroy that space alien! And the next week, the same thing would happen, and he'd mm-hmm. just get really bored. So his question was, and he thought it was just totally logical. He wasn't trying to come up with this big revolution. Well, what if it was just an ordinary guy just walking down the street and they had ordinary problems and they had problems with their girlfriends and they had trouble finding work. And that's kind of where the Fantastic Four came from. It's just this family that's going to bicker a lot and mm-hmm. they have real world problems in addition to cosmic monsters. Uh, and that kind of, I think, was really perfected with the character of Spider-Man, who's just an mm-hmm. ordinary kid who needs to find a job and has you know, worries about his girlfriend. There was an episode in the 60s where Spider-Man went to therapy. You know, mm-hmm. the, that's not the sort of thing you saw in comic books. And all of a sudden, the, an older crowd, like college-age kids, started picking up these comics and writing essays about how they were these really clever satires of sort of the old model. And he's like, well, okay, all of a sudden, I'm a satirist, Stanley <laughs> says. I, I wasn't trying to be a satirist. I was trying, wasn't trying to blow anything open. I was just bored. Well, the story I heard was mm. that by, by the time he had made Fantastic Four, and this is another interview I'd read with Stanley, mm. it doesn't contradict it, but it's another mm. angle. Uh, he had said that, yeah, he was bored. He was tired of it, and he was like, if I can't keep interested in this, I might as well quit. So the story I heard was he was kind of almost trying to get fired. He was like, I'm going to break every rule in the book. I'm going to have a superhero who is physically repellent. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have superheroes who don't have secret identities. I'm going to have superheroes who are part of a family, who have normal names. I'm going to change the... I'm just going to do everything just to keep it interesting for me. And if they don't like it, they can fire me, and I'm done. I tried. (laughs) And if they like it, cool. And it ended up being... Being the biggest deal ever, as we can, talked a little bit about yeah, when we can, talked about the thing. Can you imagine if the Fantastic Four had tanked, what the world would look like today? I, be interesting, St- and I think, Stan Lee doing greeting cards or whatever he was. I mean, listen, Superman and the Flash and Batman and Wonder Woman—they were mm. still selling comics at that time. But you know, as we talked about when we did Tales from the Crypt on our other podcast, critically acclaimed, the fifties were not the biggest decade for superhero comics. Other comics were really mm-hmm. grabbing people's attention. And I wonder if without Stanley pushing the medium really, really far and forcing DC to take notice and start competing <laughs> and up their game and get more ambitious, mm-hmm. would superhero stories have become such a dominant medium, even in comics? Uh, no, they wouldn't. I have. think they would yeah, have. Su- I, th- the, I think the, they would the have slid of, off yeah. to the side of it. I mean, it's possible someone else would have redefined a- them, but 
They, 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 they didn't. It was Stan Lee. It would have stayed sort of a cult appeal. But yes, yeah. and Stan Lee also had that wonderful talent of promotion. He would self-promote. Mm-hmm. He uh, would interact with fans. He came up with his own strange patois and his own catchphrases mm-hmm. that he Nuff would write. Enough said, yeah. Excelsior. Excelsior. I love Excelsior. It means mm-hmm. uh, onward and upward to greater glory. Right. It's a great thing to yell. Excelsior. It's a very positive thing to yell. I, it sounds so classy. Yeah, th- thanks for reading True Believers. He called everybody True Believers, which I thought uh, was really great. Do you remember that. the mighty Marvel Marching Society? They that was like one of the earlier, maybe not even earlier. This could have been as late as the '80s, but there was a, like a fan club, the Marvel mm. fan club. Oh, I remember Stan's soapbox, which was a yeah. part in every and every comic book had like a letters page, mm. but it would also have just sort of updates from Marvel. We're announcing a new comic book series. It was just like a page mm. of little blurbs, but in those blurbs, there was almost always Stan's soapbox, and it was just this little tiny editorial, and it was usually him saying something super positive. Yeah. You know, about like why stories need to have meaning and how these stories affect us and why we love these characters. And And it was it was really inviting. The Marvel bullpen Mm. was treated not as this like alien thing where just like these mystery people make all the good stuff and it's untouchable and grand. It was you could come in and join us. This place is cool. We got John Buscema like throwing darts over here and we got like John Byrne is like all crotchety in the back like playing tiddlywinks. I don't know what they're doing but like it would like, seem like, like a good place to be. It's like Mad Magazine but less less insanity. Um, yeah. And his, as his sort of career ground on, his beliefs started to go into the comics and this is where sort of his... His idealism, I think, really bolstered what he was doing. Because mm. even if he was a, a grand, great salesman, even if he was selling these books, they wouldn't, I don't think, have had the legs they did if they didn't have kind of an idea behind them. Beyond beyond that, just ordinary people with powers. And I think thing. that's that's the remarkable thing and, when you go back and read those comics, because mm-hmm. the actual storytelling of early comics today seems really kind of clunky yeah, and really forthright. St- stagey, yeah, theatrical, yeah, very, which, which I like, but, you know, in, in an objective sort of way. Yeah, nowadays comics are, are, you know, they're still grand and beautifully illustrated, but they're portrayed a little bit more naturalistically in terms of just the way that the story gets conveyed mm-hmm. uh, in in Stan and Jack Lee's and everyone else's Stan, Stan the man, you know. In that time, so, it was everything was really mm-hmm. just very, very spoken aloud, very on the page. So even though some of the storytelling might seem broad, mm. the thing I think we grasp onto was these were great ideas and they are well explored. Yeah, Spider-Man yeah. is a great idea. The X-Men was a great idea. The Hulk was a great idea. And they never shied away from, because they could speak so clearly about all of their themes mm. without people saying that they're not being subtle enough, <laughs> it really just got to the heart mm. of why these characters became so instantly mm. iconic is because they resonate with everybody. Dr. Doom wears a mask. Well, that was me, see? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a great monologue in the movie Mallrats in the mid-90s uh, where he kind of explains his characters. Yeah, he had a lot of... Okay, everyone but, remembers uh, the Marvel cameos, well, but well, he was... Oh. Yeah. Sorry, I was, oh, sorry. No, you go first. All right. Well, I was I was going to sort of get to a little bit more of the heart of things. Please, but yeah, no, please. I'll just say, everyone remembers the Marvel cameos. Mm. He was in other movies as well. He was in Mallrats, which mm. I think a lot of us remember fondly. The one I, I think people need to remember is The Ambulance, where he played <laughs> himself. The protagonist worked at Marvel Comics, and his boss was Stan Lee, and he has a couple of scenes in that movie. That's pretty funny. It's not a Marvel comic book movie. 
They just, just Stanley is it? You could it. get yeah. Stanley, and they shot it at Marvel it's or somewhere that looked like it, and it was fun. Stan- That's a fun, weird one to find. Stanley would go to the opening of a post office. He just did not care. <laughs> Uh, But you were saying about the heart. But the heart, like, uh, if you look at something like the X Men, uh, it's there was a joke about this in Deadpool too, about how you know we have to stand together as a dated symbol for prejudice. And okay, in in Deadpool two, you can be kind of snarky about that. But in the nineteen sixties, this was kind of of an interesting. A concept to fold into superhero comics mm-hmm. uh, for a young audience, how they were using mutants as a very direct parable for prejudice out in the world. And if you read all of his books, you'll see Stanley in his own sometimes awkward way, really trying to fight prejudice and promote diversity. Yeah. Uh, his that, his, that his was comics a, were that was really a, socially relevant at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. They, they were... He was very blatant about it. Uh, uh, okay, he's he's introducing... Okay, I'm going to have a black superhero. Okay, you named him Black Panther. That's a little on the nose, well, but actually, okay. Well, actually, uh, uh, Black Panther uh, was kind of concurrent with that. Mm. And for a brief period... Because he had like made Black Panther independently, mm. when the Black Panther Party started to rise in in notoriety, Black Panther changed his name for a bit in the comics, oh. and he specifically said, "There's this political party. I don't necessarily disagree with them, but I'm yeah. not affiliated with them, and I don't want to confuse and, people, so I'm changing my name for." Yeah. And then he changed it back, as no one cared. And, but and, yeah, uh, and Stanley is on the record for this in, in interviews and in print that he feels that uh, hate is actually something that we don't explore enough mm. in in our popular media or just in our psychology in general. Hate is seen as something that is just to be sort of ignored and rejected and pushed aside. And he mm-hmm. feel he felt that hate was just as natural and just as legitimate as love. And it's okay mm-hmm. to hate a guy. But it's not okay to hate a guy for no reason. Um and like so his his villains were really complex they hated the world and they had legitimate reasons for hating the world mm-hmm. or if they hated people because of the color of their skin or because of their religion they were seen as just soup like wholly antagonistic yeah. to the, the main character. There's literally they a were Marvel never, villain. They were never, ever heroes. I can't remember if, oh. if Stanley created him or not, but there's literally a Marvel villain called the hate monger <laughs> who literally his power was he spread hate. Yeah, yeah, he dressed yeah. in like black and, robes that looked like Klansman robes, and Captain America fought him. And he that. he spoke out against prejudice. He spoke out against racism, time and time and time again. And that is actually the underlying theme of all of his comics. Mm-hmm. Is it, it's okay to be a complex person, but never ever feel prejudice again. Don't ever prejudge someone. Yeah, because that's what makes you into a villain. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that he was really articulate about how he was thinking about the things he was putting into his comics even though sometimes it didn't seem like it yeah because a lot of his a lot of his projects were wild and strange and he was just sort of throwing things off the top of his head he came up with some really dumb ideas yes he did but he came up with so many good ones or or co came up with them and he was also yeah and and he was also about diversity he was always trying to include a international cast of characters up in 2011 and i only learned this after he died somebody brought this up he created for an indian comic book company a character named Chakra the Invincible, which I had never heard of. And Chakra was an Indian boy who had a magical stone that opened his chakras and gave him superpowers. Oh, that's cool. And so he's paying attention to other cultures Mm. and trying to distill that into kind of a costumed vigilante ethos. And it's, again, it's not the most graceful way to explore that, but it's a great way to make it exciting for young children. 
And I think that has been his goal this whole time yeah. is to spread open-mindedness and love and diversity into the world. And I think he was successful. Do you have a favorite mm. Stan Lee comic book? Um, like an issue that springs to your mind. Well, by the time I was collecting comics, he was sort of in and out. He wasn't really at Marvel too much anymore. But at did that you point. read any of the old stuff? I, you... I I went back and I read some of the early Fantastic Fours, the okay. ones he did with Jack Kirby. And first of all, Jack Kirby's art is like bold and strange and wonderful. Uh, they reprinted them recently without color, and they're even stranger that way. Yeah, I think the color. Mm. I think you lose a lot without the color. Though. I know. It, yeah. I know it's expensive, and you can make them more widely available well, if you and take the, out the color. But man, and the colorists so much beautiful stuff. The colorists made it a little too like candy colored, and like not. Mm. They didn't. I imagine. I would love to see like a modern colorist go in and like do shading and they've more subtle that. colors on Jack Kirby's art. I don't know if they've done it with Jack Kirby, but they've recolored things. Okay, like frequently, like um, they recolor like all of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Because yeah, yeah they, they use that sort of dot print for a while, as so yeah. it looks like Roy Lichtenstein. I, 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 I kind of miss it a little mm. bit, but I appreciate it. But um, uh, but do you have like does, mm. does anything spring to mind as like a favorite or? Uh, not not one in particular. It was just sort of his wide body of work and the characters who created. See, I have trouble okay. thinking because I I went back and I explored as many of those as comics as I can right. find. So like yeah, his Fantastic Four stuff. He wrote one of maybe one of the best single issues of a comic ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called This Man, This Monster. You ever read oh, that yeah, one? Oh, yeah, I read that one. It's like late era from mm-hmm. his run with Jack Kirby, uh, where a mad scientist hates Reed Richards. And wants to uh, destroy Reed Richards. Random mad scientist. I've never met him before. Mm-hmm. And he tricks the thing, who is often one of his depressive sulks, <laughs> um, into his apartment and steals the thing's body and powers. Mm-hmm. And he's going to infiltrate the Fantastic Four and he's going to kill Reed Richards. And Reed Richards needs the thing uh, in order to work on this device where he's going to go to another dimension. And this imposter thing gets sucked into this other dimension with Reed Richards and the only thing Reed Richards thinks about is how to save Ben mm-hmm. because he doesn't think he, he, for some you know contrived reason yeah. only one of them can make it out and he, it never occurs to me he sends it off to Ben and the mad scientist realizes I'm mad at this guy the only thing I've ever done with my life is be jealous at other people uh, and and mad at other people, and I've never actually done anything or accomplished mm. anything. And my only opportunity right now is to save Reed Richards because he's a better person than I am. And he saves Reed Richards, and it's really sad. And he's going to like die alone in this dimension, <laughs> but at least he's just like, but at least I did. Something I, I nice. did one last good thing. Yeah, yeah, it's such a powerful. It's blunt, but it's such a powerful. Short story. And that, then, that's something I kind of miss. I know there's like a heck of a lot of like nuance and complexity in modern comics now and in terms of storytelling, in terms of character. But I do miss those really simple little morality plays. Yeah. yeah I, I, don't, I don't think they do that so much anymore. Not so much. Every once in a while, like they'll do like, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are individual issues here and there mm. or storylines here and one there. One shots, they call them. Yeah. Or, or like graphic novels where mm. they, you know, condense everything into one. One I really, really liked was over at DC, which was... Um, uh, what's it? I think it's like what's so funny about truth, justice, and the American way. Oh yeah, with, uh, isn't that the one where Superman is? Um, he was raised in communist Russia. No, no, that's Superman Red Sun. That's oh, a good okay. one. But the one I'm thinking of is there's a story, and it's in continuity, mm-hmm. um, where Superman mm-hmm. runs into a new team of superheroes mm-hmm. who were inspired by Superman, but are now their own thing. But their whole thing is they represent this new era of comics where superheroes kill. Okay, and Superman refuses to go along with this and they say well you're out of date Mm -hmm. and superman in order to 
kind of prove that his that the old fashioned decent ideals of classic superhero comics are still relevant gets just as dark as they do and shows you just how scary it would be if the world was really like that. <laughs> it's so good. I'm not going to ruin how it plays out. Right. It's so good. Uh, so it, it can happen. But yeah, Stanley did a bunch of those. There's this one great issue of Daredevil he did early on where Daredevil, who again, he's a blind lawyer who's like a really great acrobat and has really heightened senses. Mm. That's what he can do. Um, well, a blind superhero. Inter- it, interesting idea. Very yeah, novel. He did a bunch of great issues. Stanley did a great issue about uh, how he helped a blind Vietnam veteran like uh, uh, out of some serious trouble with the mob. Mm. And this guy hated what he had become because he was blinded in the war and he doesn't realize until the end of the comic that his lawyer the entire time was blind <laughs> and all of a sudden he's like oh god so mm-hmm. uh but like there was another issue of daredevil where the submariner back when he was kind of a villain um back, back when he was a, no, like a quantity at mark like nobody talks about the submariner anymore he kinda, nobody's clamoring for a submariner feature film he got subdued but he uh uh yeah he was decided i'm gonna destroy all the humans i'm sick of all this crap so he like mm-hmm. just gets up and he just walks onto the beach and starts just plowing through new york city i guess all the other superheroes are busy so like <laughs> he's like breaking buildings and stuff like that and daredevil again a guy Mm. Like, he's not super strong, he doesn't have super density, he has no healing factor, he's just a guy with good senses and he's an acrobat. Mm. Uh, he It's just him against the Submariner, and he, no matter how many times the Submariner, like, knocks him into a wall, he refuses to give up. Until finally, he's literally crawling after the Submariner to say, please stop, this, you don't need to do this. <laughs> and then he passes out from the pain, and the Submariner's just like... I guess they're not all bad. God, this is effed up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, okay, I'm, okay, you know, you're right. I'm the jerk. So, <laughs> but, like, it was that moment. It was mm. that, that, that strength and attempt to overcome what, what seemed like a futile mm. uh, uh, act. But because it was the right thing to do, he tried so hard. He was the man without fear. Mm. That meant something. That that's a story I've always carried with me because oh, I thought okay. that was a really really great Keep, message and just really well handled. Do the decent thing, even as you're dying on a beach. But they get back to our show. <laughs> uh, which again well, okay so Stanley made the X-Men yeah and, and, and the X-Men was a, a good, good metaphor for A teen angst and B prejudice they, and, uh, and both of those things are part of the X-Men premise and and prejudice and it, it has it has evolved like you know it started off as uh, a rather straightforward civil rights parable but there's always prejudice to be dealt with and it ended up dealing with issues of homophobia throughout mm. its run and, and beyond yeah. and yeah. Um, uh, X-Men 2 has a coming out scene for goodness sake yep. so yeah uh but one thing I think I think is really interesting is you know how he came up with the X Men. You ever hear the story of how he came up with the idea for the X Men? I, I think I have heard the story. Um. The story is he got tired of coming up with origin stories, so they just have powers. Yeah, he was just like every someone's got to be exposed to radiation. It's like every fucking time I'm running out of ideas for how to give people superpowers. What if they were just born with superpowers? And then from there, mm. he extrapolated. Well, what would the world be like if you didn't know if your kid was going to have superpowers, or you didn't know who amongst you had superpowers? They didn't have costumes. Mm. They didn't announce themselves. They just might be able to melt your house if they get angry. So, what does that do to society? And he was like, well, that would make a lot of people really, really scared. But it would also be an irrational fear because people are just people and they would be subject to prejudice and yeah, mm. that's a story. So let's do that. <laughs> and he created the X-Men. The X-Men was not Marvel's most popular comic for a long time. In fact, it wasn't until like 75 when they rebooted it. That yeah. It really kind of took off. It wasn't until Chris Claremont and John Byrne took over the comic uh, with the all new, all different X-Men and added a whole bunch of new characters, international characters, people from around the globe, mm. uh, people of, uh, uh, 
yeah, just everyone mm. just shoved characters into this thing. Well, and they told some great... D- different backgrounds, different races, just everybody was in there. And then it was cool, it was exciting, there was someone in there for everyone to latch on to, and it created this whole branch of Marvel that ended <laughs> up for a long time, and it finally kind of stopped... Like when the Avengers kind of took the limelight again this last century in this century, yeah. But for like the eighties and the nineties, the X Men were it. The X Men were, yeah. were the most popular thing at Marvel, and all mm. of their offshoots like X Factor and the New Mutants and X Force, they were outselling everything. That's why I was so skeptical when the Avengers movie. It's like we're going to do an Avengers movie, really? Because you already did the the good characters. <laughs> There's been Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and the X-Men. Like, what do you have left? Mm. Thor? <laughs> give a damn about Thor. How You're going to put him in a movie? Yeah, I know. How naive you were. Wow, that movie's going to bomb. Oh, wait, a decade later, and it's made billions. I remember back in the 80s, uh, there was one of those stand soapboxes or Marvel bullpen, bulletin mm. boards or whatever, and they announced that they were working on an X-Men movie. They were trying to make X-Men into a movie, like back mm. in the 80s. Cut to the late 90s. That has not happened yet. <laughs> uh, we, uh, the first X-Men live-action movie would come out in the year 2000. But they've been working on it. They've been developing it for many, many years ahead of, time, ahead mm. of that. And the first live-action X-Men movie was actually a failed pilot for a television series based on the new New Mutants. <laughs> the newest generation that had just started up in the comics. Yep. And it was a good comic book, and I was really excited to see Generation X. Tonight, Fox presents a world premiere motion picture from the creators of the hit comic book series, The X-Men Comes Generation X. They've got the power. They've got the technology. They're the new generation of superheroes. And they're coming. To save the world. You can't win. I need some help out here, God! Get ready for Generation X on the Fox Tuesday Night Movie. Okay, it should perhaps be said that none of the characters on Generation X in the comics or in the show belong to Generation X. <laughs> yeah, they're too young. They're, they're too young. They, yeah, they're, they're, gener- generation they're Generation Y. They're Generation Y. Some people have started using the term Xennials. No. At that point, no, we're splitting hairs. No, I'm not going to use the word Xennial ever again. We are uh, splitting hairs at that point. But, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the X-Men cartoon... Like, there was that pilot we've already covered uh, mm. that, that didn't Pride go anywhere. Pride of the X-Men. Pride of the yeah. X-Men. And we then, did that long-ass time ago, but you can still find that on our feed. Yeah. Then uh, then there was the X-Men cartoon, Saturday morning cartoon series, which was a big hit. Huge hit. For, for at least the, the first few seasons. I think it lasted mm-hmm. five years. But very popular, uh, introduced mm. a lot of people to the characters, and really mm. really Visually, showed how, how potent they could be mm. for young people. They could sell a lot of toys. They could spawn a franchise. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, I guess to sort of hip it up, they decided to go with Generation X as their TV series, their live action TV series. Yeah. And this came out in 1996. And although it's an X-Men series, it owes a hell of a lot to Batman Forever. The Batman movies defined mm-hmm. for most other filmmakers and studios what superhero movies can and should be. Yeah, and what, the what, they're, what they're supposed to look they're like. They're supposed to look pulpy. They're supposed to look broad. After Batman came out, every every superhero story tried to look like Batman. After Batman mm. Forever came out and was a huge hit. Like, mm. everyone remembers that Batman and Robin was, was a failure, but 
Batman Forever was a big fucking deal. It yeah, made a yeah. lot of money, and people really liked it at the time. But Batman Forever yeah, was but- garish and ugly. <laughs> like the lighting on them in that movie is so bright yeah, and is. neon and clashing. A lot of just the, the color design on Batman Forever is terrible, and that was taken over by director Jack Shoulder of uh, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street Two fame. Yep, he also did uh, into- The Hidden, which is a movie I really yeah. really love. Um, and he also did a cancel too soon pilot for The Omen, a TV series that had nothing to do with The Omen. So di- back di- in the 90s. Different The Omen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. He, so yeah, every shot in Generation X is like maybe a Dutch angle or there's some weird bit of green lighting peeking, especially with the bad guy. And the bad guy is Russell Tresh. Played by uh, Canadian national treasure Matt Frewer. Mm-hmm. Best known uh, as Max Headroom, but he's been in everything. Doing his best Jim Carrey impersonation. Oh, oh, the bad guy mm. is not a character from Marvel Comics. I think they loosely based him off a villain called Mastermind, who was like, who could get into your, your head and your mm. dreams or whatever, but he's not from the comics. He is Jim Carrey's Riddler. He, he yeah, works at a corporation. Ed- Enigma from, from Fat Man Forever. He's a manic. Uh, uh, obsessive mad scientist type yeah. yeah who develops a new technology that can get inside people's brains and suck them out or whatever mm. and his boss doesn't trust him anymore so he kills the boss and goes off and becomes a super villain it's so Batman Forever. <laughs> it's like exactly like Batman Forever. Now, to Matt Frewer's credit, he does everything he can with that. He, he does everything he he's overacts. Asked to do. He's having a wonderful time. He has really weird line readings. He's just a delight to watch. He's always fun. Even if he's reading really stupid dialogue, he's finding a way to make it fun. But the protagonists of the show mm-hmm. are Generation X. That's the name of the super team. In the comics, they've been introduced relatively recently at the time. Uh, there was a big storyline about a bunch of supervillains called the Phalanx, who yeah, were basically evil, racist, techno-organic, alien hybrid humans. It was weird. Wasn't Warlock one of those things? It was Warlock, Warlock was, species, right? War, okay, so Not Adam in, Warlock, no, no, but no. the X-Men Warlock. There's oh. two Warlocks in Marvel. I'll take it further back. All right. Back in the New Mutants, there was a character called Warlock who was part of an alien race called the Technarch. The Technarch were bio-organic uh, machines. Mm. They could rebuild themselves on the fly and turn themselves into anything, but basically they were living organic machines. Warlock died. At some point in the New Mutants, mm. and, and Warlock was kind of like a comic relief character. Too. He was a beloved yeah. character. He was one of my favorite characters in comics. Mm. I loved Warlock, um, but he died. And what they decided to do was they decided because the techno organic biology was treated in the comics as a virus, like you could catch it mm. and it could take over your body. They were like, okay, well, what if someone weaponized that? So they took a bit of Warlock and they started using it, but they started, the people who used it were the people who made the Sentinels. So these racist oh, assholes <laughs> who wanted to build terrible things in order to kill mutants got their hands on some of the most complex and powerful technolo- technology in the universe and started using it. And what they started to do was they started to grab up young mutants from around the world and try to kill them. And uh, many of the mutants that they grabbed over the course of that storyline were then kept together and taught as a team, as a new version of the new mutants called Generation X. And instead of being taught by Professor Xavier, they were taught by Emma Frost, who, although she wears corsets and negligees everywhere she goes, is actually a rather good teacher <laughs> she, a weird time. <laughs> she was originally a villainess, then she kind of became chummy with the X-Men and then ended up living in 
Professor X's mansion by yeah. the time of Generation X. Yeah. Um, and she teamed up with uh, an X-Man named Banshee, who himself was the father of another mutant named Siren. And they decided we're going to we're going to teach these kids. And it was sure. a group of wildly different uh, characters. The, the, Many of them were great. The one they carried over was Jubilee. She was in the X-Men. Um, mm-hmm. They tried to make Jubilee happen so hard all throughout the 90s. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird that we don't talk about Jubilee anymore. She's kind of gone. They, they push her off to the side. And they she's keep sort putting of gone. her in the X-Men movies and then never giving her anything to do. She's been in like mm-hmm. three of them. Ju- Jubilee was a young woman who could uh, essentially shoot fireworks. That was her, her mutant power. Yeah. And and she was the entrance into the X-Men animated series. Mm-hmm. She was a big part of that show. Uh, and yeah, she's sort of the entrance into Generation X as well. Yeah. Uh, in the, now, I yeah. did read the Generation X comics, mm-hmm. so uh, the characters they carried over were um, Mondo, who's changed a little bit. He was actually uh, a, a big Samoan guy in the comics and really jolly. Here he's just sort of a dick. Also, he was a villain in the comics, but they hadn't gotten to that part yet. Well, he, he joined the team eventually, though. Uh, but, no, no. He, was, he, was, uh, he joined the team, and then it was revealed that he was a villain. Oh, time. okay. Yeah, they hadn't gotten to that part uh, yet by the time this movie uh, came out. There was a skin who, uh, in, in the comics, had like he had so much skin, it was like kind of drooping off of him all the time. Yeah. In this one, he just sort of has, he looks like a normal guy, but he has stretchy skin. In fact, he's a very handsome man in this one. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other characters, oh, and there was M. Yeah, Monet St. Croix, yeah. who's basically, her mutant ability was she's basically perfect. She's yeah. strong, she's smart. Uh, the, the character got more complicated very early on when we found out that although she appears to be this picture of you know perfection, she's also autistic. Which yeah, makes her, yeah. which obviously adds a lot of complexity. And then we found out in the comics that she was actually two younger girls who had fused together. Oh God, really? And then replaced their sister, who was actually Penance the whole time. Oh, and but now Penance, is, I don't know what the fuck is going on anymore. <laughs> that subplot got done. But those are the only characters they carried over. Uh, mm-hmm. There was they made up several new ones for the show, including. Uh, the guy with the eye beams, uh, Refrax. 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 Who was the Skeet Ulrich? He's of the Matthew the show. Lillard, or the Matthew Lillard. He's of the Matthew show. Lillard. Yeah. Refrax was created to replace a character named Chamber, who was really kind of the best character in Generation X. He's a guy who has it's, these like energy powers. He, his, his body, like his body, turned into energy. No, no, no. So he had to like wrap his body. Up. His body didn't turn into energy. Mm. It's like you know, like like people can shoot laser beams out their eyes or their hands. Uh-huh. Well. When he first did that, he blew out... Like, from his nose down to his solar plexus. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing there. He's only alive because he has living energy that, like, keeps him alive. Mm. So he's just this big, gaping wound <laughs> full of energy mm. and a, and the top of a head. It's such an amazing image yeah, and yeah. such a cool character. Like, if any character in all of Marvel Comics has an excuse to be emo, it's Chamber. <laughs> and he's great. I love that guy. But yeah, that's a really complicated visual effect to do on a TV budget. So they just decided to give him X-ray eyes uh, and call him Refrax. Yeah, and, and uh, he's also a dick. In fact, they're all dicks on the show. Yeah, but. and the other character that they decided not to go with because again it was too complicated mm-hmm. was a character named Husk. Mm-hmm. Husk's ability was she could rip off her skin and underneath her skin be she would whatever she had chosen. Yeah. yeah, she could be like made of rocks or become a bird or something. And that's a little weird and complicated. So they replaced her with a character named Buff. Who was a young woman who was whose superpower was she's really muscular and strong. Now, 
a lot of super was, characters. But she was really self conscious about her body. Yeah, which so, I, which so I she's, she's, actually, she, she's covered up. So we don't actually. They didn't hire like a bodybuilder to play the part. They hired an, an, an actress with ordinary musculature. But mm. yeah, they had her in like sort of drapey outfits, and she was always really protective about undressing. Which I actually really appreciated because all every superhero team more or less has some variation on quote the strong guy, yeah, including the, X the Bruiser. Fo- yeah. X Factor had a guy named Strong, strong Guy. Strong Guy. You, and, pu- you punched him and he got larger. And it's seen as this relatively straightforward, yeah, that's a pretty good superpower. That's not bad to, to mm. get that one. It's pretty it's pretty convenient. Doesn't mm. really change anything. And But for her, it's like, you know, I thought there was actually could have been a lot to explore with this character because standards of female beauty are very rigidly codified. Mm. Um, it's getting better now, but it's still a problem. It was a real fucking problem in the 90s. So when you're surrounded by beautiful women on your superhero team or you're looking at issues of Cosmo and you have no control over the way your body looks and you are incredibly muscular. Mm. That would like might, with, without working at it. You're without just suddenly at, really muscular. This is yeah. just the way your body suddenly is one morning. Um, I can appreciate that that's a complex body issue mm-hmm. that could have been explored in the series and I actually thought that wasn't a bad change. I thought that was an and, interesting idea for a character. And and that story is the maybe the one that's the most tastefully handled. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So it, real fast. So they have their superpower. They're gathered up into the X Men mansion. They talk to one another. We're skipping over the, huge bits. Well, okay. And it ta- it takes place in the near future. Yeah. Uh, mutants are gathered up into camps by the government. There's this big anti mutant task force, which the they world. talk about really blithely. Is that mm. that's not some horrible dystopian thing? Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you have superpowers or not. Like in, in an opening scene, a guy just seems to have like a lizard hand. Yeah. But that's enough to get him carted off to mutant prison. Yeah. Uh, and, quite and, terrible. Yeah, and, and yeah, you have to be registered by the Mutant Registration Act and uh, Professor X's school. They call it Charles Xavier's school. They mm. name check him, although he doesn't appear in this in the series. Yeah. Uh, is uh, offered as an alternate <clears throat> by parents who don't want their kids to go to these camps. Which really seems like a no-brainer, especially considering they don't mm. charge the parents anything for it. Yeah, they like just, it's a, you, it's just all like, yeah, they take mutants in. They only seem to have six students. You'd think they'd have thousands. Yeah. Maybe they do. We just don't see them. But yeah. they're, they're a little hazy about how many mutants there are in this universe. Maybe mm. there are only a hundred total. I don't know. But uh, I want to talk about the opening, because the opening of this movie is Matt Frewer... He's got a mutant on his operating table, and he wants to drill inside his brain. Once, yeah, rip has a big saw. It's going to go into his brain while he's still conscious, mm-hmm. because he has to suck out mutant brain juice out of his pineal gland. Yeah. And for, you can guess his, his uh, motivation, he wants to inject it into himself and get superpowers. Of course. Uh, he is stopped at the last minute by Emma Frost. Like like the bone saw is getting closer to the head, and yeah. stop here. Emma Frost comes in with the police to put a stop to this, and... Things are so fucking no. bad in this country at this mm. point in the show that when the police come in, they stop it. But their solution is that guy, that mutant has to go into mm. a camp. And the only thing Matt Frewer is guilty of is letting down his employer. So he's fired. Mm. That's it. That should he should be in jail for the rest of his life. But it's just cor- corporate malfeasance as it's far as they're concerned. Such a horrifying a real, undercurrent, and they do not talk about it's a it. Really, enough. It's a really cynical background. Uh, Emma Frost, by the way, is played by veteran soap opera actress Finola Hughes. Mm-hmm. She was in General Hospital for a long time, yeah. but she was also part of two of the most notorious films from the 1980s. She starred in The Apple. 
That's right. And staying well, alive. She was she was only a dancer in the Apple. She didn't have like a role. She was in it though. Yeah, she was she co-starred in Staying Alive. And I actually one, like okay. her in Staying Alive. There's one shot of her in the Apple and it's recognizable. Hey, it's Finola Hughes, and that's it. That's all we get. Yeah. Uh, she's she's the co-lead mm-hmm. in Staying Alive, which is the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. That was a huge hit, but nobody mm-hmm. likes it anymore. Yeah. I like that movie fine, and I think she's really good in it. So she's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, oh, let's talk a little bit more about the cast. Uh Banshee. Is played by Jeremy Ratchford, the least Irish man they could have found. He's not Irish; he's Canadian, and he he is, however, and I thought this was interesting. He did play the voice of Banshee in the X Men cartoon. Oh, no kidding! So there actually was a little crossover. All right, he okay. So so, so they they heard his terrible, terrible. Irish accent. And, and they thought, were like, let's like, go let's, with it. Yeah, we're going to get that guy. Finola Hughes is always wearing fetish outfits. Mm. Jeremy Ratchford is always dressed like a neon, like, 1970s pimp. Like, he's always <laughs> got, like, jackets. He's got, like, vests that are bright pink mm. polka dots. And you're just like, why? That was the fashion at the time, I guess. Was it? So, I seem uh, to recall seeing those being sold on Melrose in the mid-90s. Uh, Jubilee was played by Heather McComb, uh, who would go on to be on Ray Donovan, Profiler. She's in the movie Stay Tuned. Uh, we I, will, I, I like her. I, I she's fine. Uh, she was to see more out of her. Well, really. we are going to see more out of her because she was in the Cancel Too Soon shows The Event and The Outsiders. Okay. So we'll get to her again. Uh, Skin is played by Augustin Rodriguez. Uh he was in hit small roles in Strange Days and Falling Down. And he was in a Cancel Too Soon show called Moon Over Miami, which is a detective series. I think starred Billy Campbell. I want to I, say I ordered one of those at Denny's recently. Shut up. Uh, Refrax is played by Randall Slavin, who was wait in, wait wait say that again. Refrax. He was in Zoolander. No, no. What's his name? Randall Slavin. <laughs> Randall Slavin. S L A V I N. Maybe mm. Slavin. I don't know. He's one of those. Uh, he's. Uh, he was in Zoolander, Legends of the Fall. He was an angel. Uh, Mondo is played by Bumper Robinson, who has a really interesting long career from a child actor onward. He played the kid in Enemy Mine. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Nice. It's kind of fun, okay. right? Yeah. I wish I had five fingers. That, the, the alien kid. Yeah, yeah. That's a great movie. I love Enemy yeah. Mines. So he was in Enemy that. Mine's great. Uh, he ended up going off of, he was in the TV, failed TV pilot for The Spirit, which we'll get to one of these days. Okay. Um, and he's got a really prolific voice acting career right now. And recently he played Falcon on the TV series Avengers Assemble, which okay. was quite good. I watched that one. That was actually a good show. He's still working working along. Buff was played by Suzanne Davis, uh, who was in Undressed in Malibu, California. M was played by an actor named Amaryllis. Just Amaryllis. Just Amaryllis. She had a rather short acting career. Probably the most you probably would have seen her in would be Sweet Valley High, the series. Oh, okay. Um, And then, yeah, we got uh, uh, Matt Frewer. So... uh, we actually were meeting. We have two protagonists in this one. This is usually the X Men intro film. Is there's like one protagonist who gets like mm-hmm. swept into the X Men. Usually a young person. Usually a young woman. Jubilee, Kitty Pride, mm-hmm. um, and Rogue in the movie. And yeah, exactly. And here it's Jubilee and it's Skin. Now Skin has just been drafted in the normal way. It's like he applied, mm-hmm. whatever, and now he's gonna be part of Xavier's school. Jubilee is playing video games at a, at an arcade, and she encounters Matt Frewer, whose job it is to put subliminal messaging in Virtua Fighter, oh. literally Virtua Fighter, name checked in the show. 
uh, and to try to get kids to play more video games. And she starts playing video games so hard that sparks shoot out of her fingers, and then the cops come, show up to arrest her for being a mutant. And I'm and like, she, and just tell burned. them it's a defective machine. It was sparks. <laughs> well, when the cops grab her, she shoots more sparks and burns the cops. So, really yeah. defective machine. <laughs> the, the, the sparks follow me. It's that's so defective. So terrible. Virtual Fighter. It sucks. And it's, it's revealed, and this is a really weird wrinkle in, in the X-Men mythology. And this is not been something I don't think that it was introduced before, but all mutants, mm. regardless of what their other superpowers might be, are also all a little psychic. Yeah, the idea is that they're the next evolution of humanity, so the brains are really highly evolved. I don't think that's a thing. And and that's why Russell Tresh wants to suck out their brain juice, because they have this sort of psychic thing. That sounds like they're uh, really working overtime to make that guy the villain yeah. in the pilot, when really, we're going to forget about that plot point by episode two. I, I think so. There's no way that's going to be important later. And... Additionally, Russell Tresh, who's been putting these subliminal messages into uh, various products, the three they're name-checked are Virtua Fighter video games, uh, Lipstick, and Cigarettes. One company mm. makes all three of those. And I think the cigarettes are named like coffin nails. They're called coffin nail cigarettes. Yeah, well, and truth I think in advertising. The, and the lipstick was Slick Lips, because that's sexy. <laughs> and uh, Kiss me. Whoops. <laughs> Just slide right off. <laughs> Fall to the ground. Oh, my God, there's our Slick. <laughs> Holy crap. Like people just coated in oil trying to kiss. Uh, he, he's been using a machine that he invented with Emma Frost years ago that can infiltrate people's dreams and implant subliminal messages forcing them to buy. So okay. it's Dreamscape. It's, it's Dreamscape, fine. It's also revealed, a la The Lawnmower Man, that dreams are not just things that are in your subconscious. It's actually you going to another thought dimension. You're like going into Plato's realm of ideas. Mm, you're you're going into Freddy Kruegerville. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's it's an alternate dimension when you go to dream and he is looking to suck like to kind of fold those two realities together with his experiments. What doesn't make any sense is mm. that you would think given that, you know, he needs to perform experiments in all these mutants, mm. that he would need a mutant in order to get the dream machine to work in the first place, but he can use it fine. So why do you need them? I, well, he, it works fine. <laughs> he built the machine. It's I'm, fine. Yeah, I'm not exactly he, sure. He it's... uses the machine to infiltrate like the mind of everyone on the board. And the idea is that he's still working for, for this company, ostensibly legally, because mm. no one's actually made a law that says you can't control someone's mind. <laughs> um, and in order to prove to the board that his theory is true, he makes everyone fart simultaneously. You know what? That's funny. It, and in fact, there's, I would have gone with something a little less crass. Like, why don't you do like the scene from Beetlejuice? We would have been happy they, with the scene from they Beetlejuice. They all stand up and sing. Yeah, yeah be... that would have been fun. We all could have enjoyed that. Instead, you just kind of humiliated us. Hmm. We're not. We're less inclined to like give you money now. Well, and, and I do like one of the the stuffy board members. Is this supposed to be funny? And he says, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hilarious." Watch, God. Um, so. Skin and Jubilee, they go to the school. Everyone there is a dick. Mm. One of the weird things they have to do is, like, in order to go to the school, you have to, like, do a bunch of, like, retinal scans. Mm. They have to do a full body scan. And the first thing they do when they walk in the door... And by the way, the building is the actual, like, Xavier's mansion that they use in the movies, which yeah, I think is really funny. it's the same one. Yeah, a little continuity there. Yeah. Uh, the first, some palatial home in upstate New York, no doubt. Uh, the first thing they... Actually, I think it's in Los Angeles, but oh, the good. first thing they do when they walk in the door, in the hallway, mm. like, okay, we need to do a full body scan. Jubilee, take off all your clothes in front of skin. What? 
Yeah, Skin is in the room. Yeah. Well, okay. She's behind the thing, but still. Emma Frost and, and, and Sean Cassidy's right over there. It's just, da, 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 da. yeah, take off all your clothes. Da, 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 da. No privacy. Da, like, da, da, you're, da, da, you're a teenager yeah. for fuck's sake. That's a huge red flag. Get Especially, the fuck out of this weird cult. Yeah, like, and like, what about that one poor young woman who is really self-conscious about undressing? Are they yeah. going to force her to do it, too? I think yeah. they already must have. They must have. She's already in the school. Maybe it's that, like their weird hazing ritual. You know what? Maybe that's why she's, she's sub, subconscious, self-conscious. Maybe. She wandered in. It's like, I, I, I'm okay with my body. I'm good. I'm good. And she like takes it off and go, oh my God, look at your body. I'm going to poke at it. And it's like, Jesus Christ, you man. You horrible woman. <laughs> Why would you do that? Uh, now she used to be a villain. Yeah, she did. Uh, so we they meet the other kids. The other kids are all jerks. Mm. Um, buff to a lesser degree, but they're all jerks. Uh, and then they start taking classes, and their classes are all kind of useless and lame. Like, we want you to learn the security system at the school. Well, okay. But then, like, and we're going to learn about psychic dreams. On day one? Have you heard of math? Why aren't we learning? This is my problem with Harry Potter. They're always, like, learning, like, magical history and levitation. And I'm just like... What's your required reading do, list? Do you What's read it? books, you know. Yeah. Do you I suppose, learn math? Do you learn anything about math? Like, well, you know what? If if the rules of physics are totally different, then surely the rules of math are going to be totally different in the world, But they still world have too. math, though, right? That's something they'll maybe, run, maybe they they run don't. businesses. Surely they have to have, like, you know, records of things. I guess they only need numbers for, like, accounting, because they have money. Yeah, they but do. They, but they don't they, have physics. Yeah. So <laughs> they have technology. They have cameras and things. You need mm-hmm. some science. Like, where <laughs> is this? It's so weird to me. It's always really frustrating. They, they so just stole. The they, they stole from all the, the muggles. They just ripped it off and added magic. So, in a desperate attempt to contrive their way into a storyline that can connect with Matt Frewer's. Uh, the first thing they learn is about dream projection, which of course they have a book on mm. in the library, which of course leads them to the dream machine that Emma Frost kept in the basement for literally no reason. Even even when she oh, finds was... out they've been using it, she's just like, why did I keep that? That was stupid. Yeah. That was st- <laughs> stupid, Emma Frost. Stupid. But yeah, uh, luckily, uh, Skin is also a hacker. Yes. Which is a you know big big buzzword in the nineties, mm-hmm. and he's able to get in get a key card. It's under lock and key, but he's able to to find the dream machine. Yeah. Uh, he wants the dream machine just so he can have wild fantasy, like live out wild fantasy. Well, he's a, he. They, there's a scene where they go to town and they like run into some townies, and the townies humiliate him, but he has a crush on one of them, so he mm-hmm. wants to go inside her dreams. And make and be charming and have a one one on one with her, which is a real violation, if you ask me. You're going inside their subconscious and messing with them. Well, as far as they know, it's just a dream. It's like VR five. Yeah, but that's, he's, he he VR fives them. As far as they know, it's just a dream. Is, does not make it any less creepy for the person who knows so. exactly what they're doing. If it was somehow an accident and it's just like mm-hmm. a mutant power, and he didn't know he had it. Maybe you could write off the morality, but once you know and you're consciously doing it. You're a monster. Matt Frewer shows up and says, So, I see you like being creepy. I'm here, too. I can make it extra creepy for you. And Skin says, A little more creepy would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's actually okay with it for a second. Yeah. And it goes it goes bad. And then Matt Frewer ends up getting stuck in the dream dimension because they turn off the machine while he's in it. And he needs Skin to break into, like, where he's being held and let him loose. And if he says... He tells Skin that if Skin doesn't help him... Mm. He uses these words, and it's a trigger warning. Mm. He says he's going to, quote, mind rape his, Skin's his... little sister. And then Matt Frewer licks the girl's face. Mm. This thing gets fucked up and no, weird in the he, middle. He licks a different girl's face. It's but... the same girl. It's the, it's the sister. 
It's not the sister. It says it's the sister. No, when he when he threatens when he threatens to do harm to Skin's little sister, that's in a different scene. He licks he licks uh, Jubilee's face. Is it Jubilee? Did yeah, he, sa- he says I. He like pulls her really close and says, "I want you for your mind," and he licks her face there. Oh, I thought it was his. Oh, that's a different scene. But regardless, yeah. it's creepy. Mm-hmm. Of it's course, creepy. Of course it's creepy. He's the bad guy. Yeah, but he, there's he mur- levels. He murders people. He threatens to do all kinds of depraved there's things There's levels in this of movie. creepy that, that basically there's mm. creepy, you're a bad guy, uh, like you wear like all black and you slink into the shadows and you have a knife. And then there's creepy as in this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> and that makes it not fun anymore. Right. That's really way over the line. Mm. Way over the line. <laughs> way over the line. Um, they end yeah, up the, escaping free Matt Frewer, and Matt Frewer goes on some kind of supervillain spree. Well, they, and all the Generation X have to team up together to fight him. They they try to trick him into thinking that he's woken up, but really they trap him in the dream dimension, and they do battle with him in the dream dimension, where there's no rules, and things look like really bad special effects, and... <laughs> And yeah, they end, they end up dispatching him by pushing him down in a bottomless pit, mm. essentially. Meanwhile, uh, the kids are going through their shenanigans, mm. and Refrax and Buff actually have oh, the, a, subplot, a, yeah. a romantic subplot where he's a dick, but he really does have a crush on her, and she starts responding very favorably to that, and on like an outing where they go to like a local carnival, mm. they make out a little bit, but that's when Refrax's powers kick in, and all of a sudden he's got x-ray vision, and he starts seeing through her clothes. To his credit, the second that starts happening, he like he backs off. Yeah, you have to stop. This is cool. And like when he tells, when he like he doesn't tell her about it because he's embarrassed, but he tells Mondo what was happening, Mm. and then she overhears that and she thinks he was just being a creep. To his credit, he eventually just says, "Listen, it, it, it was an accident. It was my powers." I, I didn't, I, and he says, "I didn't do it. I didn't look. I didn't I, see it. As soon as I noticed it was happening, I looked away. Yeah. And I moved away. I know, I know it was mixed so, signals, but I really do like you a lot, and I feel really bad about this." And Okay, actually. It's, actually, it's, it's actually about how these these dicks who hate each other come to like and respect and even kind of love each other a little bit. And that's actually and, the, the only one good subplot. And in this. bizarre circumstances, find the right thing to do. Yeah. So, okay, and, fine. Uh, Mondo has one notable scene where he gets into a fight with the townies. Mondo's superpower is he can touch... Uh, a hard thing and all of a sudden he has that density. Yeah. So if he touches a rock, he's suddenly as hard as rock. The reason, again, the reason why certain characters made it into the show and certain didn't was Mm. some were easier to visualize. Mm. Mondo, in the Generation X comics, actually was really complicated to visualize because he didn't just like become as dense as the rock. He would look like the rock Mm. or he would like look like a, a big mound of earth or plants. And... He looked cool. Like, it was a really <laughs> cool look. And then he would eventually, like, digest these things like food, and then he would become normal again. Um, in the comics, we found out he was actually, the Mondo that joined the team was actually a clone of the real evil Mondo created uh, by Black Tom. Uh, and okay. then he tried to stop, hunt down. Stop, the, okay. stop it. Stop. I don't need to know. I, I have other, th- other more important things I need in my brain other than that. Anyway. Uh, here he seems more or less fine. Mm. Uh, but yeah, they, they fight the bad guy, they stop the bad guy, and in the last scene, they reveal that they're going to get superhero costumes just like the X-Men, mm. but theirs are red and gold, and Buff wears it, and it's like, ooh, look at this! And I'm like, I saw this the night it premiered. Me too. I, ta- I, I taped it. I still have my VHS tape, yep. in fact. This this aired on February 20th, 1996, it aired opposite Roseanne and the New Hampshire primary and Wings, and it did better than the New Hampshire primary and worse than Wings and Roseanne <laughs> in the ratings. And I remember this was 1996. We did not have a lot of good superhero movies, and we had almost no superhero movies featuring Marvel characters. Mm. 
I was excited for this. I had oh, hoped it would be good. And I, I was reading Generation X comics, so I was, I was familiar with the, the characters already. So the first like 20 issues of that book were really solid. That's uh, kind of when I stopped collecting, so I guess I'm glad, they, glad I dropped it when I did. They started to suck after a bit. Uh, and I saw this, and I saw that they revealed the big Generation X costumes. And again, I'm, what am I, 14 at this point? Mm. Prime X-Men age. I see that costume, and I'm like, that looks like crap. Maybe this it, is a bad idea. Maybe we don't need these X Men movies. Well, and they and they shot it bad. Well, first of all, she has these big rubbery shoulder pads, which like football mm-hmm. pads, and they look bad. It looks like she um, looks like the costume is made of foam. It does. It, it doesn't. It doesn't fit her well. Like I think they came up with a universal outfit, and I guess that was the idea. But can you make it to fit the actress who's going to actually be wearing it? Also, the whole point is she's supposed to be super muscular, and she does not look it in that costume. That's supposed no. to be like a, a form fitting costume. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't and, have that. And they shoot her from below, like from a low angle. And they backlight her, so there's this big spotlight. You can barely see the damn costume. Yep, it's probably after they saw it. They're yeah, like, like, "What can we do to barely see this costume?" Yeah, so they're they're either hiding how crappy it looks, which didn't work, yeah, or they're just shooting badly. And that's Generation X. And and Sean Cassidy says, "What do you think of your new uniforms?" And you know what? That's pretty and, much exactly how he delivers that line. That's mm-hmm. not even an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. It's really not a subtle performance. It's, it's there's nothing subtle about this at all. No, no. Uh, this was the 1990s, so there was a lot of that sort of self-aware snark that was really hip at the time. Uh, there seemed to be the, – the trend at the time was not to invent new types of stories for the characters, but to put them in really typical types of stories and just have them comment on how tired those situations were. Yeah, That was kind right. of the trend at the time, and they do that a lot of that in Generation X. Um, there is a different cut of this movie that I was able to see in advance of our talking about it here. I had it on VHS. I watched it multiple times. I kind of liked it at the time, mostly just because I like Matt Frewer's overacting. Mm. And again, at the time this came mm. out, there wasn't a lot like it. There weren't yeah. a lot of attempts to turn Marvel Comics mm. characters I thought, into live-action primetime shows. I thought or, this Skin and Jubilee, I thought, were pretty interestingly yeah. characterized. They um, were fine. You know, some of the yeah. cast members equipped themselves well. I'm, in particular, I thought mm. Suzanne Davis as uh, Buff was... She was good. I think she actually brought like real vulnerability to it, mm. and I bought her character. Yeah, I wish M and Mondo had something to do. I mean, M has literally nothing to do. In only this. thing she she's gets to do like, is brag about her powers, as though mm. she's like talking about, as if she's like doing a. I don't even know what she's doing. It's just like I have level five blank ability. Yeah, and she's I'm like, like I don't le- even know what that fucking means. I have le- level five invincibility. Well, if you're invincible, isn't there only one level? <laughs> Like, how can you be more invincible? Well, at level three, you're only invincible. 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 You get the I gets added over time. <laughs> oh, I see. Like you earn each letter as you I, go. I don't fuck. Because it's like horse. <laughs> <laughs> if they throw things at you and they bounce off and you're unharmed, you get another letter. <laughs> We're playing invincibility today. You're just throwing baseballs at me. Stop it. Uh. So yeah. I, 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 I'm glad I got to see the, the longer cut because they actually cuss a little bit. You mentioned that. That's so weird. Yeah, when do they there's, cuss? There's one scene after um, uh, Jubilee and Skin have used the dream machine for the mm-hmm. first time. And it freaked it freaked her out because she saw Russell Trash and he was creepy, like creepy to her. Yeah. And he saw Russell Trash. He's like, oh, you're creeping on a girl. I'm a creep, too. And it's like, oh, so they have a little bit of a kinship. And he's kind of OK with it for a second. Yeah. It's like, I saw that guy. Yeah, it was nice to me. Yeah. And uh, they're talking about it. The devil on my shoulder. 
and they're they're having this conversation and she actually says and I'm going to going to cuss here is like it was the it was the scariest fucking thing I've ever seen. I cosmically shit my fucking pants. That's her line of dialogue. That's a hell of a line of dialogue. Yeah, it's, that's it's getting like, all your swears out in one two yeah, sentences. Yeah, yeah. It's like and, and they and they use two. So if they put that in a theater that would technically warrant an R rating. Cuz you're only allowed one fuck in a PG-13 rated film. Yep. And it has to be a non-sexual way. They've made a couple of exceptions over the years, but it's really yeah, rare. And it's always been under appeal with the MPAA. That is their yeah. hard and fast rule, I think, to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why nobody cusses in superhero movies. Not much, no. Uh, and and you can say shit once in a PG-rated film. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. And and again, it, but it can't refer to poop. <laughs> like, it has to be in an expletive sort of way. Here's my, here's my question. Mm. Generation X, again, it was intended as a pilot for a series. That's mm. why we're reviewing it. They wanted to continue. They mm-hmm. wanted it to uh, uh, go on and be a show. What does the show look like? Is it a is it a villain of the week? Is it, it a teen soap opera? Like I honestly don't know from this pilot is, what they're getting at. Th- this is a weird sneeze of '90s trends. <laughs> like they're they're clearly just ripping off Batman Forever. They're throwing in all of this X Men stuff, but there's all this extra psychic stuff, and there's the Dream Dimension stuff. The villain is more interesting than any of the hero characters. But even the villain is kind of terrible because he's got so little to work with. They just let Matt. They just wind up the whatever gear he has in the back. And <laughs> <laughs> and they crank it as far as it can go, and they just let him play. And it's just like, listen, Matt, we know this sucks. So Please do, do entertain whatever, some yeah. people. We don't care how far you mm. go. We literally don't care mm. how far you go. If you think you're going too far, go a little further, because by God, this will be boring. <laughs> yeah, if they had just sort of like a stead, serious actor read that same dialogue, it wouldn't have made any sense. Yeah, and it would have been a boring show. No. Like, I, I, I still think it's a bad so, show regardless, but it would have been a boring show, which would have been worse. So I feel like after the pilot, they need a pilot mm-hmm. to really establish what the hell the show's supposed to be. It's like, okay, now we know the setting and the characters, but what what's your setup? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it going to be... Like you said, it's going to be villain of the week. I'm guessing, yeah. But there's it's going to be a vil- villain of the week with like some Beverly Hills 90210 level drama mixed in between the characters. See, I think this has been the great, the, the best thing you could do would be have to be Dawson's Creek with superpowers, and you okay. have like like it's v- all at all at X Mansion. There's not a lot of fighting. And I think in the I think in the once the series proper begins, I think you got to expand that school and you got to have other characters running around, just like you would in any other high school show. Mm-hmm. You just got to establish that there are more people running around that mansion so that. You can introduce other characters who are the same age as our protagonists, Mm -hmm. and you can occasionally bring them into the fold, and you can have the villain is a bully. The villain is a new guy in school who was raised by asshole parents and has internalized hatred. Or a new bad teacher who hates them. Yeah, you've got to turn it into superhero Hogwarts, basically. And I think that's the best way to handle this kind of show, is to lean into the fact that they're kids. Because as superhero stories, you got so many strikes against you. They're in high school. They're not supposed to be doing any of this stuff. There's no, like, we have a new mission. You have to go to, you know, Madagascar and fight Sentinels. That's not a thing. That you can't do that. You're yeah, stuck yeah. here. You have to make here as interesting as you possibly can. So you need to let here expand a little bit, add to the cast, even if they just understand that there are other students there. Mm. And you can play with them whenever you you, you want as characters. Um and then, yeah, that's where you live. And you can still do superhero stuff, but you got to keep it a little bit more grounded. Because mm-hmm. the whole dream thing is so forced. It has nothing to do with anything. On it has no- nothing to do yeah. with anything. So, 
but yeah, the, the the dream thing is gone. All after this episode, we're not going to see it. Never ever. mentioned again. They might mention it once, and, and you that can would be bring a, Matt Frewer back as some kind of dream villain at somewhere the end, end of the second season. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere yeah. down the line, that's fine. But like the dream thing, dead. Hmm. You know, this would have been such a better. I think this would have been a better pilot if. They're brought into the mansion and they're learning stuff. And the issue is the townies get whipped into a frenzy because they find out they're mutants at this school. Mm. And they realize that, you know, they have to confront this. They can't run anywhere. That this is where they've run to. They have to stand up for themselves. And then maybe we find out that one of the people whipping the townies into a frenzy is a mutant with some psychic powers. Okay. And you can deal with like that. Like a villain of some kind. Yeah. Like maybe it's one of the teens. Maybe okay. it's one of the teens, and he's nervous about it. He's he's uncertain about himself, and he's projecting. And okay. you could, and then at the end of the episode, you could invite him into the class, and he could be this complicated character. That's a good way to open it. When you have a pilot, you want the plot to revolve around what the show is about and what the characters are about. Mm. Here, the plot has so little to do with who the characters are and what the point of the show is. It's a waste of time. Mm. It's a yeah. waste. Of time. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's the most entertaining part of the show, it's still a waste because you're trying to sell the show, not, hey, you know Matt Frewer's crazy? Yes. Mm. We don't need a pilot for that. I, I defended this for a little while. You did. I did. I Because I, I, I enjoyed watching it. I watched it a couple times. I became really familiar with it. Um, I was 17. What did I know? Uh, <laughs> again, again, pickings were slim if you're interested in yeah. this kind of stuff. So I was into the comics. Like, okay, here's a, a really fun, kind of stylized, kind of funny uh, superhero thing that aired once, and it's and it's got some X Men characters, but it's not it, it's not ruining a lot because it's like kind of side X Men characters, and I I really appreciated that approach. It's like if we're gonna test the waters a little bit, we're not gonna start with Wolverine. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna start with these characters that aren't aren't as well known and are newer. And there were characters I knew. I didn't like this version. I liked the comics version a lot better. They were well written for a while there. But yeah, that that. And that look was something I was really raised with. That kind of around Batman Forever, really stylized look. That's just what movies looked like. That's what for movies a while. looked like. And I thought yeah. that. And I thought that was fine. I thought they did that well this time on a low budget. So yeah, I was defending it for several years. I remember. I, I was defending. It's like, oh no, it's okay. It's okay. And like, you don't watch it for a couple years, but you're still in that mode. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I put it aside, and like a, a decade passed, and it's like a Generation X. Oh yeah, that was okay said my 17-year-old brain, even though now I'm pushing 30. It's like, so, I watch it again. Not as good as I remember, and I watched it again just now. It's like, yeah, this is quite bad. I, I warned you, because <laughs> this is one of those rare shows where we were both really familiar with it mm. before we did the episode, and we're both really, really busy, and you'd seen it several times, and you were just like, do I really need to watch it again? And I said, yeah, yeah you do, because, man, it does not hold up It doesn't up hold at up at all. all. It, and it's, it's really really indicative of the trends that were boxed in between 95 and 98 like that that this was the only time you would see something like this yeah and it was not thinking ahead it was not trying to establish a new kind of aesthetic it was trapped right in there almost as bad as hot springs hotel (laughs) it wasn't trapped in its own fashion it's one of those ones where i wonder i wish i could talk to some of the people who are involved in this one Mm -hmm. because I wonder it, how much of its desperate attempt to chase trends were the actual writers and executive producers thinking that stuff was genuinely cool, mm. and how much of it was the, the the network saying, we need this to look like something that's already out there. Yeah. This is a weird concept. There aren't any other live-action superhero shows on TV right now. Like I don't think there were, and at least not that were successful. Like in the mid-90s, mm. not really. 
we need this to feel safe. So you can you make this as much like Batman Forever as possible? And they were like, yeah, I guess. Yes, we can do that. Do we have green gels for the lights? We do have green gels. We'll make it like mm-hmm. Batman Forever. Look, look, look. We... We don't know what happened, but we got like we got like ten thousand green gels. We don't know what to do with these things. We just <laughs> just like a warehouse that's got nothing but colored gels in there. What do we do? I don't know. What would you do? I love I love how many gels you think and you're like you think they're one use only. Yeah, it's like oh, <laughs> we got how like, gels work. Well, you just put them in front of a light. You can use one gel a thousand times. A, a gel is what you call like a piece it's, of colored it, plastic it's like that you the put in front of a light. You put in front of the light. Yeah. So you make it change to different colors. It's mm. very common on a film set. Um... There's all kinds of complicated filters and gels mm-hmm. you can get for lights, but and weird terminologies when, for film stuff that really like uh, you ever you ever hear of the phrase the C27? C27? What's yeah. the C27? A uh, 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 what do you call them? All what do you, what do you call those those wooden clips for laundry? Clothespins? Clothespins. It's clothespins. <laughs> Fuck you. It's late. It's what? It's twelve p.m. <laughs> it's late. It's the middle of the day. This We're finally time. recording middle of the day. No, it's a clothespin. All right. Thing is, you need a lot of clothespins on a film like just to like hold gels up or mm. move things around. And it's one. It's something the story goes. I don't know how true this is. Mm. That um, they were budgeting for a movie. And when you budget for a movie, you put everything you're going to need. You put how much it's going to cost. Mm. And someone didn't want to pay for the clothespins because it's clothespins. Just get some clothespins. Mm. So they just changed it to C27s because it sounded important. <laughs> you were able to get it on their budget. C27s. <laughs> it's just clothespins. You can get those at like the 99 cent store. Yeah, I mean, you pins. need them. Yeah. Someone needs to buy them. <laughs> what yeah. We used to dry our clothes outside. I don't know if anybody does, though. Like, we had a laundry rack in our backyard for a while when I was a little kid. And we would dry the clothes outside. Mm -hmm. They would dry a little stiff, but we did that. Sure. Do people still do that? I guess so. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably still dry outside. They still work fine. I mean, see, there are fewer clothes, I think, that require to be air dried. Yeah. So I don't know if everyone bothers, but, like, you can. Yeah, machine wash, tumble dry. Anyway. So we're off on a rant. Uh, was just to be clear, I think yeah. it's pretty obvious. But was Generation X canceled too soon? Oh goodness, no, 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 no. no. This should not have gone to series. When I, even when I was seventeen, I probably would have said no then too, because I think part of why I was attached to this was because there was only a little bit of it. Yeah, it's like okay, I got a taste, and that's all I need. Uh, if it went to series, maybe I would have watched it, but I'm not sure if I would have really followed it closely. Plus, I was about to go away to college, and that's when I kind of lost. Everything I was following. I mean, look, it's an interesting novelty. Yeah. It's fun that it exists. If you love X-Men stuff and you like these characters mm-hmm. and you're you are you are not averse to extreme nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh this is a this this could be a fun individual watch, but you're gonna watch it and go, I don't want another one of these. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I kinda like these actors and I pay to see them in something else, but no, mm-hmm. not not this. No, this no not this. This is what you might call a bad show. Might might be, yeah. Uh, I don't think there, there's not a way to make that into a good regular series. Yeah, maybe there's another draft of what we had. Hmm. Oh, yeah, been I think good. Generation X could have worked as and, a series, and it's maybe this. that would have made a series. But Generation yeah. X could work as a series. This version of it, hmm. not so much. Um, so that is it for this episode of Cancelled Too Soon. This episode was selected. By our Patreon subscribers. You go to patreon.com slash canceled too soon, canceled mm-hmm. with one L, and you get to vote for one episode every month. One episode every month is chosen by you, our Patreon subscribers. But <laughs> we, we had we had special circumstances this month. Uh-huh. We we put up a poll saying you guys get to pick one of four shows. One of four failed pilots for Damn. Marvel comic Damn. shows. And there was a tie. 
for first place. Mm-hmm. And not only was it a tie, but by the time we called it, it was a three-way tie <laughs> between Generation X, Solar Man, and Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So guess what? We're going to do all of them. <laughs> As a special treat to you. And we're going to keep doing the other two- stuff we were going to do. So November's going to be jam-packed so full of content. You, you get two bonus episodes. We're going to do Solar Man, which uh, was a cart animated series. Yep. Uh, animated from, pilot, but yeah. animated pilot from uh, from about the same time as Generation X. Uh, it actually was supposed. It actually was supposed to come out around the same time as X Men the animated series. Mm. But um, I guess the the studio thought, well, no one's going to want two superhero series. Yeah, we can't handle more than one superhero. Yeah, people are going to have superhero yeah. fatigue if they have one superhero thing. <laughs> so we don't to, want two. To, to be fair, plenty of people have superhero fatigue, but yeah. pen, plenty of people don't. Yep. Uh, so Solar Man, give people a quick rundown of what Solar Man is, because you just watch that. Solar Man is Green Lantern, but with a yellow bracelet that gi- that doesn't just give him powers, but turns him into another character. So, young, it's, so it's Green Lantern young, meets Shazam. Young boy... Uh, well, I got young boy, teenage boy, uh, comic book enthusiast, has an oppressive father who wants him to be a football star. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, space alien crash lands in front of him and says, here's a special bracelet. Put it on. You turn into Solar Man when there's when the sun's out. So you can't fight at night. Okay. And he puts it on and he becomes Solar Man. And there's an evil villain who wants to suck energy out of suns, and he's destroying okay, planets. Don't, don't ruin it. Don't get into spoiler territory. <laughs> we're going to review that on the next episode of Cancel oh, Too Soon. Solar Man. Then we're going to do our regularly scheduled next show, which is going to be Blade the Series, mm-hmm. starring Sticky Fingers. And, as, uh, as Blade the Series. And then we're going to do Nick Fury, Agent of Sealed, starring David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury... Mm-hmm. Aren't you lucky? From the writer of Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice comes Nick Fury, Agent of <laughs> Shield, to be starring fair, David Hasselhoff. That, to be fair, he wrote like a lot of superhero movies. No, no, he wrote Batman. He he wrote or co-wrote Batman Begins, the mm-hmm. original Blade. Uh, actually, all the Blades, I yeah. think. Uh, all he, the Blades. Yep. Uh, he he worked on Man of Steel. He wrote on uh, The Dark Knight. David Goyer, big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. We're gonna see two of his shows on this month of Marvels that we're doing. And then we're going to close off with an animated series, which I've been wanting to get to since it aired and I missed it. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> uh, so that's what's going on on this Marvelous Month of Marvels. Uh, stick around because also uh, within the next week or so, we're going to have a letters episode in which we read your letters. We've been reading fewer of them lately. T- mm. Scheduling has been difficult and we want to make up for it with a fun letters episode for everybody. Yeah. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we want to give one last Shout out to Stan the Man Lee, one of my personal heroes, uh, who created a lot of characters who meant a lot to me and who is largely responsible in some direct or indirect way for everything we're reviewing this month on Cancel Too Soon. Mm. That's just this weird coincidence. So Stan, Excelsior. Enough said. (laughs) 